Today is Monday, January 22nd, 2024, and you have once again found the Living Youth Podcast. I'm here, as always, with my podcast co-host, Mr. Wallace Smith. Mr. Smith, how are you doing this afternoon? I am doing extraordinarily well. It's the beginning of the week, and I'm I'm excited, Mr. Robinson. We're going to get some things done. We have a, a guest that we've, we've long had on our list of wanting to have a very interesting individual. Who do we Indeed. have as our guest with us today? Indeed. Well, yeah, well, I hate to say interesting and have him feel like he's got any pressure on his back or anything, but we do have visiting here at the headquarters building very briefly, very generous man willing to spend some time with us, Mr. Stuart Wahovich, uh, regional director of Canada and the work there. And Mr. Wahovich, you want to just say hi to everybody? Hello, it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, oh good. It's a pleasure, Mr. Robinson. That's That's a good sign. Mr. Wahavitz, I'm I'm patting myself on the back because I think I now spell your last name correctly every time I need to use it in an email, and I'm I'm feeling pretty good about that. <laughs> it's alphabet soup. Uh, uh, we'll check it out later. All right, on to the music. Thank you again, Jake and Julia, for that beautiful music, and welcome again to the Living Youth podcast. And we have Mr. Rojavis, just so you know, Mr. Robinson was not just saying nice things because you're here because there's a commandment about being honest. And so we strive. Uh, we have wanted you here for a long time. And I think there was a, even sometimes during council meetings when we kind of hope to, to grab you. And once you might've been grabbed by somebody else, I can't recall, but regardless, it's nice to have you on our clutches, however, briefly to have you here one to uh, introduce you for those uh, teens and young adults out there that, that may not know you very well. Um, but also to get your perspective on uh, the, the work and what's going on in Canada, because it is such a large part of what we do. And yet it might be just completely foreign, both literally and, you know, metaphorically uh, to so many of our kiddos who are listening. So again, thank you. Thank you for taking the time. Oh, you're more than welcome, sir. Honored to be here. All right. Mr. Robinson, as we were telling you before you sat down has been doing some research. So he has a few questions we want to ask in terms of helping our audience to, uh, to get to know you, Mr. Robinson. What's, what's one of the questions you have for Mr. Well, like any good podcast host, I have to do my background checks, right? <laughs> I have to check with my sources and find out, but you, you know, when you ask people, cause I asked a couple of people from the Canadian office and that's as far as I, I can't reveal my sources, of course, <laughs> but the first thing that always comes up with you, and, and I know that you, you're a multifaceted person. So there's a number of things that are, that you have knowledge on and, and are interested in, but it seems to me like one of the core elements of you and how you spent time with your life is in the area of education. How did you get into the area of education? And I know you, from what I understand, and maybe you could elaborate on this, you actually were very involved with the, what we would call the federal government of, of Canada and shaping educational policy. Is that is my or my is my information correct? It's partly correct. Um, I actually uh, went into education when I left high school um, in 1966, uh, doing a university degree, and um, sometime after that, I began a teaching career, uh, and then uh, left that teaching career and took a different uh, approach and ended up uh, taking a degree in I guess what's now called geographic information systems. Oh wow. And uh, I think it's not, it used to be called cartography, but they wanted to upgrade the, the name. And uh, worked a bit with uh, satellite mapping. And finally went back into uh, education, 1975. Um, and we had a very good career. Um, 
I did serve some time as a principal of uh, both elementary, junior, and senior high school, and uh, then went into the uh, Edmonton public school system as the director of curriculum and instruction resource and uh, uh, resource development and research for uh, one of Canada's largest school systems. And that was uh, an eye-opener for me. I've, it was quite intimidating when I first went in there, really? but it, uh, it did uh, serve me well. I think I learned a great deal and uh, gave me a lot of opportunities. Uh, when you talk about working with the federal government, uh, one of the areas that Edmonton Public uh, was known for is uh, language education, second language education. It's the largest program in Canada. Uh, and... Uh, we ended up doing a lot of contracting with other provinces, some states in the U.S., and the development of second language curriculum, and especially in areas of second language assessment. And that's where we uh, were involved with the federal government in developing policy for second language uh, education, but also second language credentialing. Uh, so your you had the students were given opportunities to actually sit for. Um, exams in about uh, seven or eight different languages, which were then internationally certified on an international measure called the Common European Framework of Reference. And that is something that the federal government was quite interested in, especially in Canada, where you have official bilingualism, English-French. Uh, they wanted ways to establish better um, French language skills and French language credentialing outside mm. of uh, Quebec Okay. Okay. I was wondering how the second language thing manifested itself, and that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, the other thing I heard about from from your from your um, from your past experience is that you were doing at some point some farming and teaching at school at the same time. Yes, uh, I was uh, principal in southern Alberta, and uh, while I was there, um, some farmers got together and coerced me into buying a farm. <laughs> Uh, they they said they wanted me to put down roots in the community, literally. <laughs> and um, uh, so I ended up, uh, yeah, for 12, uh, 13, 14 years, I guess, I uh, was principal of a school, but I also ran a, a farm uh, south of the community. Was, so, was that completely new to you? Did you have any kind of farming background before I didn't that? have a great deal of farming background, but I, I had to learn on the go, I think, uh, some of the farmers originally uh, were looking at this as a source of humor, <laughs> as I was learning. <laughs> but uh, it was a fascinating thing, and actually it, it helped me a great deal. Some of the work I had done in, uh, in uh, cartography was uh, dealing with agricultural maps and uh, mm. various types of uh, uh, soil, soil treatments, measuring them uh, and that, the effects. And so it uh, became a laboratory for me, actually, and uh, oh, it, was, it was quite fascinating, and uh, I really enjoyed it, actually. So I, a lot of people, um, especially outside of Canada, won't be familiar with the Canadian Shield. You know, the you know, maybe you even would describe it better than I. From what I understand, it's basically there's a huge section of Eastern Canada that's covered by rock that's difficult to farm, but Western mm -hmm. Canada is much more. Yeah, Canada only has about 12% uh, of its land area that's arable. Okay. Oh, really? Um, most of the country is covered by this massive granitic uh, outcrop called the Canadian Shield, which is kind of the core of the North American continent. 
Um, and uh, it's a lot of it, of course, is in the north. So you have climatic limitations on agriculture as well as soil limitations. Uh, a great part of the country over that shield is covered by what we call boreal forest, which is a, a massive um, forest area, uh, but again, not suited for agriculture. Okay. Uh, and so the agriculture is in the southern zone, and that's where 90% of Canadians live within 200 miles of the American border, mm -hmm. for example, yeah. across the country. The western prairies are a little bit of an anomaly because there the arable section runs north in what you call the Great Plains. It's the northern end of the Great Plains. And that is a very, very uh, fertile zone uh, so, as a result of the last glaciation. It, um, so so was your farming primarily uh, crops or did you do an, any kind of work with the animals? Well, uh, I didn't have time being uh, the school principal and doing a lot of teaching and a little bit of consulting on the side. Uh, I didn't have a lot of time for animals, so it was uh, purely grain and fodder production. Hmm. Now, I was I was told that you have some stories about some of these uh, teachers and other other teachers that were also farming, and they would come in somewhat beat up by their animals at times. Oh, you did some research. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a very good, uh, very good friend of mine, one of my uh, teachers, who was a phenomenal teacher of English. Uh, uh, he had a farm uh, somewhat south of mine, and uh, but he was heavy into animals, horses. He was quite a good horseman, and so he had horse, sheep, and cattle. And uh, but he invariably was coming out on the uh, losing end of altercations with these beasts. Um, one time I was uh, in school, and I his his students were standing outside the class, and I didn't know why they were in the hallway when the classes would begin. But he wasn't there yet, so I went and unlocked the door for them, and let them in, and sort of supervised them till he got there. And I noticed this. Uh, um, figure of a formerly great man coming down the uh, the hallway, and he was uh, his face was swollen out of shape, his hands oh. were in a crumpled mess, and apparently what had happened to him, uh, he was taking out some feed for his sheep, and uh, of course the sheep knew there was feed in there, and they wanted it before he got to his <laughs> the desired location, and uh, so one of them was butting away the. Uh, one of the cans, and of course it was winter, and there was a lot of snow and ice on the ground, and uh, he went to push one of the sheep away, and the other one pushed him from behind, and he fell, and his face landed on the edge of a steel five-gallon oh. pail, and uh, one of the sheep came up and sort of tried to butt him out of the way to get to the grain. He was <laughs> angry, of course, you're not thinking straight at that time, so he wound up with his fist, he was a big guy, he was a good hockey player. And he hit the sheep in the forehead with his fist. Now, if you're going to hit a sheep, that's the <laughs> last place you hit a sheep, right? Because they have a pretty thick skull. And uh, so his hand, he actually had broken bones in his oh. hand as well. So uh, the first thing we did was arrange to truck him off to the local hospital where we were substituted in. But after that, he became quite famous for uh, his uh, it's uh, altercations with... Uh, <laughs> Four-footed beasts. That's that's old school tough. Yeah. To still come into your come into your job, show up as the late, but you showed up with broken hand. And, wow, that's incredible. Now, uh, how how did you come into the ministry? So we understand you know what you were doing at the time there, but what what eventually led to you actually being in the the church's ministry there in Canada? Well, my wife and I came in the Church of God together in 1971, 72 actually, seventy two. 
And uh, we were members for quite a while until the um, difficulties arose within the church uh, after the death of Mr. Herbert Armstrong. And in 1992, early 93, we uh, came into the then Global Church of God. And uh, we were uh, attending there, and it was very, very, I guess they were very short of ministers. Hmm. And so um, one day, uh, Mr. Lori Nias, actually, uh, who was uh, the only minister we had in the, in the province at that time in, in Global, uh, called me up to the front of the uh, uh, audience, the, the, the meeting hall, congregation, yeah, couldn't think of the word there, yeah. and uh, ordained me an elder. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was my, uh, that was 1995. Wow. And so after that, I ended up... Uh, uh, serving quite a few of the, the congregations as I could be of assistance to him. And uh, going back and forth, uh, I was still teaching and, uh, and eventually continued that in, when I went into Edmonton in 1997. There's a lot of ground to cover there in Canada. I imagine you put a lot of miles on the car. Yeah, it's a huge country. It's the second largest country in the world. And uh, Cities tend to be built at great distance from each other, <laughs> so uh, there is uh, a lot of ground in, in the west uh, right. and in the east part of the Canada as well. It's, uh, well, I should highlight to our audience that uh, you know, Mr. Robinson and I talk about doing our show prep all the time. I say we talk about Mr. Robinson tends to do it. He's a, he's a good show happens. prepper. You, you do you do. Oh, you're very kind. Thank you. However, I make I should make sure. So you all know, Mr. Rohovich is is. Pretty much off the cuff here, just so you know. We haven't had a whole lot of time to talk. He, he's on a whirlwind tour here at headquarters talking to various ones. So he literally just kind of sat down and is answering our questions. And so I'm, I'm doing my best not to throw you anything totally unexpected, Mr. Rohovich. But I did want to ask you about this. And I hope this comes across as a compliment because it is. I find I find when I when I spend time with you and, and talk with you that rarely can I bring up something that you don't already know a lot about. And there's times when I thought I would mention something and you could say, oh, and next thing I know, you're you're telling me things that I never would have known and, you know, different kinds of facts. And in particular, I remember once we were in the car together, you and I and my wife were I can't remember where we were going at the time, but it was evening. We we're driving between things and you talked about some some research that, that you and your wife had done while you're in a library and were able to read about the uh, relationship between cathedral design and grottos or something. It was very fascinating. <laughs> but but more broadly, with our audience here of, of, of teens and, and young adults, what I really admire about that is, is we even talk about it in our spokesman club manual, being well-rounded people, just not being so fixated on one particular school of knowledge but you know, kind of, kind of having a breadth about us, so that we're capable of talking with a with a lot of people. And how did you come to have such a breadth? Is it just part of a natural curiosity, or it doesn't sound like your your education kind of meandered too much? It seemed fairly focused. How would you advise a younger person who's looking to just kind of broaden their knowledge base? Is there anything you might recommend? Well, I guess I had the advantage of. Uh that my grandmother, I, she was quite a uh, quite a lady, and she was uh, a very well educated person, and she always wanted me to be able to explain myself from a background. And if I tried to say something and I hadn't really learned about it, she let me know about it in the most ardent terms. <laughs> uh, I think one of the advantages was perhaps maybe it was my experience at school as well. 
uh, where we, I still were, was in that era when there was a huge emphasis on building a knowledge base mm. and all the curriculum, uh, whether it was history or geography or mathematics or the, the science and the fundamental rudiments of where these knowledge things came from and how that, how different ideas developed. Um, there was still an emphasis on the development of logic and mm. its formal logic and a development on ancient history as how it led into modern history and some of the interactions and cause and effects through time. And I guess I was very much blessed with that opportunity to have had instructors that really emphasized that and parents that, that also emphasized that. And so I think through a lot of reading uh, and a lot of, uh, I guess, talking to people and talking to people who were older, and often my parents would go visit people. And if there was older people in the room than they were visiting, I would get shunted off to talk to them. And uh, that was actually an opportunity. Mm. I ended up sitting down with one fellow who had actually worked on the Great Eastern, which is one of the ships that laid the North Atlantic Cable. You know, we used to repair uh -huh. it, not the original one, because he was not old enough, but it was in the late 1800s and he was mm. doing this work. And the little bits of information like that, that if you focus on them and learn to focus on them, you tend to retain 10% of them perhaps, mm -hmm. but it gives you a context. My biggest fear in this age is the electronic media that we're using, especially the abbreviated electronic media like, media like Twitter or some of the, even the internet news items are much abbreviated from a news mm. item in a newspaper. And so the context and the depth of background to help you understand a situation is not there. And I think that's removing modern our modern society's ability to analyze and uh, mm. really critically assess things. And uh, so I, I do try, uh, I know even with my, my grandchildren, I'm always harping at them to <laughs> try to uh, give me some background here and that sort of thing. <laughs> but uh, to me, it's, it's been helpful to me and I, I wish I knew far more than I, I do mm. because there are gaps uh, huge gaps in sure. my knowledge base. Well, along, did you have a question, Mr. Smith? Oh, no, no, no. I, I was just going to say I appreciate that. I remember when I was going through college, at least by, this has been the – this was the early 90s, but Texas A&M at least, they still had kind of a core education. Like maybe you're majoring in math, but they still want you to take yeah. a certain amount of history and others. And, of course, we would all complain about that because well, I didn't come here to study, you know, the American Civil War or anything. I wanted to get a math degree. And yet, if my whole life after that were just talking about theorems and postulates, it would be terrible. And how much from my sociology class or this class has peppered my conversation and such? So, uh, yeah, this kind of well, but the ability to analyze the world from a broader perspective, right. yeah. I think that that's actually a really yeah. helpful insight. Well, along those lines, I was going to ask you because you know we're talking about teaching and learning and how you can have a good depth of knowledge. Your experience as a career educator, what what's something? If, if there is something, what, what have you seen change the most over the last 40 or 50 years in the public school systems about how we were taught 40, 50 years ago versus where, where we are now and, and how the kids are being educated? And in particular, because we have a lot of teens and young adults listening, and I feel like hearing this might be helpful for them because a lot of them are, are, I mean, they've got an education they need and all they have 
they might think or the tools that are laid out for them. And so whatever is not here now might be something they need to keep in mind if they do want to, to get a good proper education for their future. So yeah, what, what is it? What, what have you seen? The biggest changes I've seen uh, in terms of the learning aspect or the, the, the knowledge core that is presented in schools are in two areas. One is in history uh, and um, our modern period is either abbreviating history, deleting history, mm. or changing it. And fundamentally, a change to an historical event is effectively a lie. Mm -hmm. right. And uh, if people don't have a good background, you can't discern the lie from the truth. That is one change. A second change is in the loss of the knowledge base in what I would call heritage literature, because a lot of the allusions that we use in language, a lot of the different expressions we have come from those that heritage literature base, which also improves your expression and your ability to express. And I guess if there's a third area that has been hugely diminished, it's the uh, loss of the acceptance in society of the reality of God, mm. the, the loss of the understanding that there is this text called the Bible. Even if people don't believe it, if you know what's in it, it is actually a very rich source of both history, it's a very rich source of at least the concept of a moral base, and the cause and effect relationship in life and choices we make. And when that is stripped away, and those three things are largely stripped away, I, I can't speak for the United States, but I can speak for Canadian school curriculum. And uh, history has been almost completely removed as a contextual thing. There are little mm. pieces here and there, but there's nothing to tie them together. And therefore, it's very easy to tell someone something that isn't true. So if I were going to encourage people, I, I would definitely find something. I think one of the great history resources of all time is Winston Churchill's four-volume series, The History of the English-Speaking Peoples. Hmm. I mean, it's still available, I guess, online, but it's not in print anymore, even though it's a Nobel Prize-winning piece of literature. Uh, it's very easily written, very well-written, but it gives a timeline, a concept of all the things that were put together to build this society we call the, I guess, Anglo-Saxon world today, and all the ways that's influenced. And I don't think we realize sometimes the power of that Anglo-Saxon world and how it actually um, pushed its way into every nook and cranny of human existence almost. I remember being in many times in China, and especially if I would go into the remote areas of, East, uh, of uh, Western China, uh, you go to a place where there's hardly ever a foreigner, uh, everyone speaks Chinese, but on the police station, there's the word police in English, <laughs> or there's the word post office mm -hmm. in addition to the Chinese term for post office. This is remarkable. And it just shows the penetration of, of influence. And yet, um, nowadays, I would say the average student in Russia or China or India 
perhaps knows more of the contextual history of the English-speaking peoples wow. than are known in Canada or the United States. Wow. You know, over the over the Charlotte Family Weekend, we recorded a number of podcasts, including your your fellow uh, Canadian, Mr. Barry Walker. Which, uh, if we have time, I might ask you a hockey question. <laughs> <laughs> well, the only time he frowned at me is I told him when I was a kid in the '80s. And ESPN had gotten some rights to do some NHL games, and, and so I didn't have any rooting interest. But there was this team, you're going to hate this, Calgary, and they had these cool flame logos. And so as, as a teenage boy, I was like, I'm going to root for Calgary. And then there's this team in Edmonton, the Oilers, and they had this really great skater, or uh, Wayne Gretzky on. I knew who Wayne Gretzky was. But they were really tough to beat, and that was my entrance. And I guess he's a he's a Vancouver Canucks fan. But see, I've you can be forgiven for almost anything. <laughs> <laughs> but when we the re, one of the podcasts we recorded was about the British Empire, and we had our guest um, Mark Sandor on. He's a pastor up in the in the Wisconsin area. And the whole reason we did that podcast was because of of a poll that listed five random empires and asked it was just a, a random internet poll which was the worst empire and it was they voted the British Empire. Yeah, and, the Mongolian Empire, all these other empires and then the the result of the poll was that the British Empire the British was, was the, worst. the worst in history. But what I thought was interesting about it based on what you said was do you remember who the relationship Mark's friend was but he had a British friend that he was able to ask about this. He said, "Oh yeah, growing up we were we were taught in school the British Empire was bad." Yeah, his British friend and he's a little younger than us, Mr. Sandor. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and but his British friend agreed. He's like, oh yeah, that's that's what we were talking. Yeah, it shows they have no knowledge of history. Mm. What well, if you're going to buy that? You have to. If you're going to compare empires, uh, if you asked anyone in 1880 which empire would you prefer to be in, it would have been the British Empire. 100. And that's from the that's from the context of those persons who were in those empires. And anyone who knows anything about, I think. Uh, uh, Prager U has a very good uh, video on that. Um, that if you're if you have free speech, better thank the British Empire. Right. If you wanted to know who ended slavery, it was the British Empire. Yeah. We, you know, Will, William Wilberforce mm-hmm. was the first person, and the British Empire became the first political jurisdiction in human history to ban slavery. Yeah, he that <laughs> that came up in the podcast. And the other thing was. When the Germans were losing World War II, who did they want to surrender to? It wasn't the Russians. Exactly. Yes. Mr. Smith, did you have any follow-up questions? No, but I'll try to find that PragerU video and link to it on the on the Living Youth uh, website. Uh, no, I really didn't. I based on that, I that sounds like if, I, if we were trying to encourage our, our teens and young adults, recognizing that there there are things present that used to be present in education that just aren't anymore. Mm-hmm. It sounds like what you're recommending is being willing to do the hard yards yourself and go out and seek that other information, actually educate yourself concerning your, your culture and actual history and, and what, what took place to bring us to this place in civilization today and not, not to expect your teachers to give you an accurate picture of that. And don't accept anything that's uh, rather sensational and uh, provocative right away. Do some research on it. Uh, anything from climate change to some of the modern concepts and social structure. I mean, people need to really do stop and do some thinking. Just because a celebrity says something doesn't mean it's true. Right. Well, I'm pretty thankful, truly, because when the internet came along, by and large, I liked it like everybody else in this access to information. But I'm thankful I grew up into my mid-20s 
everything I knew was from reading a book and and I was relatively well read and so I felt like that that's one thing I was going to say be well read but not on the internet get get proper books you know I never thought about that until you said it because I in my position I definitely do a lot of research and you're doing a lot of fact checking and you're you're it's part of editorial at the same time, I didn't think about that before because I, I grew up with what your your card catalog and having to go through you know your vertical files mm-hmm. and having to go through microfiche and <laughs> do a decimal and, system. Do it, yeah, you had to be far more selective of your sources, et cetera, yes. because you couldn't you exactly. couldn't review eighteen things in a day. And gratefully, I haven't never thought about it. I'm, I try to bring that to my internet work because you don't just read anything. You 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 try to select. But realizing we have whole generations now that are growing up without that more self-filtering background, just to the fire hose that is the internet and and what that changes about things. And it's superficiality. Uh, One of the things I think Mr. Weston's brought up in his uh, Tame the Social Media Monster, uh, which is a very good good program, uh, was that the executives of Silicon Valley are putting their children in schools without computers. Right, I've mm. heard that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, that should, that should be a bit of a flag. Oh, absolutely. And, and I use computers. I use the internet. Of course, we must in this day and age. But I think we should not use it to the exclusion of traditional media. I still get two subscriptions to the, I know it's old-fashioned, the <laughs> newspaper, right? Um, in Canada, the Globe and Mail, the National Post, the two national papers. And when you read a headline, that's one thing, but that's what people are reading today are headlines. Mm. But they forget the inverted pyramid system of writing where you just give the exciting thing up front and then you explain it as you go through. Right. But the explanation and depth of the reasoning when you read it, gives you a much more balanced picture of what's going on and a little depth. And it also gives you the arguments and the ideas that you can use if you're challenged on a, a thought, where you don't get that from the uh, Twitter feed. That's a great point. I, I've had people, because I, I try to subscribe to both the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal to get you mm-hmm. know both sides. And someone said, well, how can you read the New York Times? I would know the New York Times actually can be very good. Just don't stop at the first three or four or five paragraphs. You got to be willing to go to read the parts that they felt they needed to report, but didn't want you to actually read. And so get down to the eighth or ninth paragraph and you'll actually find sometimes they kind of bury the lead, but, but no, they, they can do some decent reporting. You just have to keep your head on straight and you have to be willing to read the whole thing. Well, I can't tell you how many articles online, you know, whatever, CNN, Fox News, any of those, you're reading an article, how often they don't have the five basics, who, what, where, when, and why, and like you read it and feel like, I I think, I feel like some key data points are missing here. You can be led in their direction very easily, but the beauty of paper journalism, as I would call it, is it follows those rules, and it gives you a lot of depth and a lot of reasons and references that you can go check. And that's something that you really need to be considerate of. And that that richness to your knowledge base is much more full when you're uh, uh, reading a more complete picture of a incident. Maybe we can summarize that advice. Uh, Young folks out there, pursue a rich knowledge base, work hard to build a rich knowledge base and not not just what they're feeding you. We know our time with you is limited. You have another meeting coming up. If I had to ask one more thing, 
we do we we've recognized here you're from Canada and clearly directing you know a wonderful uh, part of the work there in Canada so for all of our teens and young adults who are listening if you could share with them one thing or more than one it's your discretion but one thing about what's going on in Canada that they might want to know or something you would even encourage them to to pray about because we encourage all of our young people to not think of the work as something that's, that they're not a part of uh, what what might you say? And I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but what what might you say before we let you go? Well, there are, there are many things, but if I was going to limit it to one, I, I would say there are prayers for God to really direct us to be able to focus a message to a an audience that is really no longer um, familiar or committed to any kind of religious ideal. How do we package and frame a message to a group of people who fundamentally know that they can't just be a cosmic accident, but uh, really need to, um, how, do we, how do you frame that message so you can get their attention right. and they can start asking questions themselves? and uh, then follow along so they might be able to uh, gain some benefit from the vast amount of uh, knowledge the church makes available. But how to get the message in front of people so they will hear it. And because there's many, many demographics out there, there's many different kinds of backgrounds and people, but uh, it's, uh, it's an increasing challenge. So many people have been conditioned, if they hear the word God or if they hear the word Bible, they just turn off and they don't want to go any further past mm-hmm. that. So how do we frame that message to get a an interest in what we are saying and this great truth that God has given us to project into the population? How do we get that across most effectively? Uh, I know God has to call people and open their minds, but we also have the responsibility to tailor that message as best we can uh, to make it as a as available as possible. Okay. Anything else, Mr. Robinson? Well, I was going to ask one question, but it wasn't as deep as that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, we, we decide if you want to cut this out or not. But uh, <laughs> less so, our audience doesn't think that Mr. Wahavich is 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 merely a, a brilliant academic. Maybe you could tell our audience how, since the retirement of Wayne Gretzky, or perhaps his departure <laughs> from the Edmonton Whalers. Why haven't the Oilers had much success in the playoffs over the last 30 years? Well, given that I'm from Edmonton, um, I'd just like to point out the Oilers have just won 13 games in a row. (laughs) Really? Really? 13 in a row, yes. We need to bring Ben Graham in for these podcasts. Um, 13 games in a row. I want you to keep that number in mind. Uh, (laughs) No one else has done that in the NHL. Really? That's right. So it's, it's a record. So perhaps this year may be different in the playoffs, and they won't be so generous to other teams. <laughs> you know, I, I, the, the Dallas, no, no, the Minnesota, Minnesota North Stars moved to Dallas and became the Dallas Stars. I was, I'm from Texas, so. I, oh, is that uh, the origin of the Stars? I didn't even know that. Really, I thought it was nice of them to drop the North from the from the Stars. But uh, <laughs> anyway, well, you're a wealth of knowledge. It was, I, I truly was excited about getting to talk to you, and we we could have talked, we could easily talk another hour about 
you know, experience you've had and those different kinds of things and, and just pick your brain on more things. Cause there's a lot going on in Canada. I don't know if you've ever heard of um, Jordan Peterson. Oh yes. <laughs> just joking. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, so I, I still, I still hear, hear him quite regularly and, but he talks at times, you know, I get oh, the most recent thing. He's lost his final appeal to not have to go before the re-education board oh, did to he? keep his, um, yes. to keep his license, his uh, mm-hmm. clinical psychology license. Wow. Right. Wow. If there's a bright side, he doesn't really need that license anymore. I think he's doing quite well in his present, uh, present work. But it is, I think, typical of the kind of uh, oppression that people who are focused on speaking common sense face in this age. You know, in particular, I think part of why the IR is so directed, because he's someone who would claim one of the credentials that they think of as their own. They think of as their own to hand out, you know, you, you know, you're a credentialed this, you're a credentialed that. And for someone to bear one of those credentials, but to stand in opposition to so many of their sacred cows, if you will, mm-hmm. I think is quite, it's quite the affront. That's right. And his following is growing mm. still yeah. and uh, in Canada as well as elsewhere. But uh, certainly I think it's a, a voice, I, I can't say I agree with him in every one of his positions by right. any means, but uh, certainly it is a voice of opposition to this wokeism that is uh, removing common sense from the public square. Well, I know you've got a meeting in just another couple of minutes. So, uh, evangelist, regional director, and hockey fan, Mr. Stuart Wahavich, thank you so much for joining us today. We, we really appreciate your time. Well, thank you for having me. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. Sit